Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
to the presence of the King, to worship, to rest, to fellowship, to honor this day in honor of the King. Amen. God is so good to us. Amen. He is worthy of all of our praise. Amen. It's good to see our brother Ian and sister from Zimbabwe, brother and sister in Jamaica, and our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, Korea, Australia, South Carolina, Texas, and other locations around the world. And I know that our brother in South Africa will also be listening later today or next week, whenever. You can catch up with the recordings. All around the world, more and more people are choosing the truth, choosing choosing to serve God in the truth as God is calling them, teaching them, revealing things to them. People are responding to the calling of God. 
in this dark world, the light of God still shines in Jesus' name. May his name be exalted throughout all of the earth. May his name of Jesus not be forsaken, but rather embraced and honored and worshipped. Only name given to us that that man may be saved by. Amen. Praise God. Let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we worship you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for this moment. We thank you, Lord, for calling our brothers and sisters together with us, for showing us the light of your truth. We ask you, Lord, to please help our sister in Nigeria that just lost her 15-year-old son. We pray, Lord, that you please comfort her, strengthen her, and help her. Please help the ministers and the congregations there in Nigeria of this ministry to help her and to support her. Please give them strength and comfort as well. Thank you, Father, for your divine plan. Thank you that your plan of salvation is greater than the traditional view of salvation. Amen. Because you're not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to everlasting life. We know that the scriptures are also clear that some will choose death, that some will still choose disobedience, lawlessness, and chaos, and lies and deception. But nevertheless, your plan is so great that many more people will be saved than what we are taught by traditional Babylonian religions. Thank you, Lord, how great your plan is and for showing it to us and teaching it to us and allowing us to be part of it. We ask you, Father, we ask you for your divine anointing and blessing upon these services and this sermon, that the hearts and minds of your people will be edified, touched, encouraged, informed, educated in the truth and in your spirit. We ask you, Lord, to deliver us from all lies, deliver us from Babylonian remnants that remain in our hearts and minds and thoughts, Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from those that persecute us. Help us to lift up your name on high forevermore. And to the Father be the glory in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. For those that may be joining us for the first time, we're reading from Translation of the Bible called the Alpha and Omega Bible. 
It is a restoration of the original scriptures using the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Greek Tetrilogent, Codex, Vaticanus, uh, which is not offered by the Vatican, it's only located in the Vatican, as many other treasures are located that they stole in, that they did steal from the church and seized and hid from human eyesight for centuries, even thousands of years. But we thank God that everything hidden shall be revealed. And that is already in the process. We are discovering and learning of more and more of the original scriptures all the time. And that helps us to restore the Bible to the original scriptures. And we're constantly editing and improving and updating the Alpha, Alpha and Omega Bible to its original glory. Amen. God is good. Revelation 20, verse 1, page 279. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now notice how it says, who is the devil and Satan. That's not two different papers. The word and can also be translated as same as. Same as, or namely, or i.e., same as is the devil, the devil Satan. So, he is both the devil and he is Satan. He is the serpent, he is the dragon, but the dragon and the serpent and the devil and Satan is not four people. It's one being, one being. And this angel bound him for a thousand years. A thousand years. Now the traditional Babylonian churches, most of them, do not teach that when Jesus returns that Satan will be arrested and put into a prison of type, a abyss, a bottomless pit, a type of prison for a thousand years, and then released. I never heard that in the Baptist church when I used to go there. I never heard that in the Pentecostal churches when I used to go there. It is a Bible verse not read, taught, or acknowledged by your traditional religions, most of them, because it reveals, because this scripture reveals that their teaching of immediate heaven or immediate hell for those that die, that that is a lie of the devil. This verse exposes their ignorance, their total rejection of the truth, 
and their lives. Amen. That's why they would never read this verse to you in the church. I will tell you to read it, tell you to understand it, and it's explained because it exposes their lives and their ignorance. But when Jesus comes back, the devil will be arrested and put into a prison of type for a thousand years. Only a thousand, not eternity, but only a thousand. If he is in that prison for only a thousand, then that means after that thousand years is done, then he's going to be released from that prison. That's logic, but the Bible also tells us as we keep reading that that is exactly what will occur. But you don't even have to read that verse to know that if you think it out. If you use some logic, you already know that even before you get to that verse because he's only locked up, he's only bound in bondage, in captivity, in prison for only a thousand. So he's got to be released after that. That's logic. Verse 3, And he, the angel, threw him, the devil, into the abyss, into the deep, and shut and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Now notice that during the thousand years, he cannot deceive the nations any longer until he's released. That means that when a thousand years is over and the devil is released from prison, he is allowed to roam the earth and to deceive the nations again. That's very clear. You can't really get more clear. It's extremely 100% clear that the devil will again deceive people. And yet that's a thousand years after Jesus comes back. Your traditional churches, most of them, will never ever tell you that a thousand years after Jesus comes back, the devil will again deceive the nations. That's more than just one or two people. That's a lot of people. Who is he going to deceive? Think about that. Who will be alive? Who, who's able to be deceived and will accept the lies? Who? It's got to be lost people. Amen. Now, if we were to back up into these previous chapters, we see in chapter 19 that the saints are in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. They had been called up at the first resurrection, which even this chapter right here, as we keep reading, is going to tell us that the saints had been called up at the first resurrection. That's at the last trumpet. The book of Revelation tells us that. The seventh trumpet, when the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal blows, that is when we are called up. 
on that day of atonement. So, the saints, by the time they get to the beginning of the thousand years, they are turned to spirit. And they have finished their race. It's done and over with for them. They have entered into the fullness of the kingdom and they turn to spirit. It's not those people that's going to be deceived by the devil after the thousand years, but rather it's going to be a different group of people, people that did not enter the first resurrection. Amen. And this deception will only be for a short period of time compared to the thousand years and compared to eternity. It would be only a short period of time of where the devil is allowed to deceive people. But how short? How many days? How many years? Isaiah 65 tells us how short. We're going to read that in a few minutes. But Isaiah 65, verse 20, does tell us that that's going to be 100 years. We'll read that in a few minutes. So just hold your horses, hold your potatoes. We'll turn there in a few minutes. But we will verify, we will prove that it's 100 years of where the devil will deceive people again. But let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 4 here. Verse 4, it says, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and authority to judge was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of the Theos, or Theos. Most people say Theos, but I have to introduce to you that there's not full agreement among those that study agent languages. Most people assume wrongly that there is a solid agreement about how to pronounce agent languages, how to spell them, how to pronounce them, what they mean. Solid agreement, but that's a myth. There's actually much debate among the experts of agent languages how to spell and pronounce and the meanings of agent words. So that whereas your college professors and your YouTube videos and your pastors would usually always say this, I have to introduce to you that I believe that it's Theos. And I have plenty of reason to believe that, which I have spoken of and written about. Theos meaning the A and the O, the Alpha and the Omega. So, the word of the Theos and those who had not worshipped the evil beast or his image or his stone, actually, that's been edited and updated to say stone. So, if your copy of the ALB still says image, you can write, you can mark out image and write the word stone. Those that had not worshipped the evil beast or his stone and had not received the branding spiritually, on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So that backs up 
to the time where the devil is arrested. Excuse me. Those people rise in the first resurrection, and it says so. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not come to life until, until the thousand years were completed. Verse 6, this is the first resurrection. The first resurrection in verse 6 is referring back to those people that rose to live during that thousand years and eternity. It's also referring back to that seventh trumpet sometime. But the rest of the dead who did not rise in that first resurrection, they do not come back to life until the thousand years is finished. So in other words, they do come back to life after the thousand years is finished. So automatically, that's the people that are going to be deceived, or at least that the devil will try to deceive and will successfully deceive some of them. Those are people that rise in the second resurrection. Verse 6, the first resurrection is referring to the people that did rise at the seventh trumpet, that did take part in the first resurrection. They do live during the thousand years. And if there be a first, then there must be a second, automatically, by default. If there is a first resurrection, then there must be, absolutely must be, a second resurrection. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense at all to use the phrase first resurrection. And when it uses that phrase, it's talking about a mass resurrection of millions of people. It's not talking about a resurrection of just one or two people that die. I don't know why so many people have asked me about, well, the Bible talks about this person rising from the dead and this person and this person. Well, yeah, there's lots of resurrections that have already occurred of one and two people. And also, a bunch of people rose when Christ died, and the earth shook. Some people rose from the dead. But that is not considered what this is talking about, of millions of people. That's an entirely different thing. This context is talking about the end time, not 2,000 years ago. This is after the seventh seal, the last seal. After the last trumpet, the last trumpet. End time, end time context. In that context of the very end time of this generation, this is the first resurrection of millions of people ever. Amen. Now, if that be that first one, then there has to be a second mass resurrection of millions or billions or trillions of people. 
and it is the rest of the dead. That word rest of the dead means the remainder of those that did not rise in the first resurrection. And it's not a partial resurrection, but rather it is a full resurrection. It is the remainder. It is everyone that did not rise in that first resurrection. It is the rest of it. Amen. If you have a pot of soup on the stove and you serve everybody at supper time with the first serving of the soup, but you still got some left over. And then you serve the rest of it at the second serving where everybody wants a second bowl of soup. You serve the rest of it means you serve the rest of it, all of it. If you did not serve all of it, of all that was left over in the second serving, then you would not use the word rest of it. You would just say, here's some more. Amen. But if you say, this is the rest of the soup, then you are saying, this is all of the soup that is left. It is the rest of it. Amen. So the rest of the dead means everyone that still needed to be risen, everyone. Everyone, not just the good, not just the people that are bad, not just the people that never heard the truth before, but rather everyone, the rest of the dead, the remainder, all of them that had not yet risen. Amen. It's easy. This is easy. But they do come to life after the thousand years is finished. And those are the people because as soon as they rise from the dead, the devil is released from the prison to deceive people again. These are the people that are capable of being deceived or not deceived. They will have the free will to choose, just like we have in this generation. They will have free will to either accept the truth or not. And it will be their last chance, their last opportunity to get saved. Amen. Because you can't have a third resurrection and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and then a million more resurrections of the end time context because then you'll never come to a conclusion. You've got to eventually have paradise and no more death and no more resurrection. You've got to eventually have that. So there's only two, only two resurrections. Some people teach three resurrections only because they don't understand that once you get down to verse 11, it repeats itself, which is what the book of Revelation does back and forth, back and forth. It repeats itself. It backs up and explains and adds on to what it's already talked about. It's not a third resurrection, but rather it's explaining itself, giving more details about that second resurrection. Amen. Now, continuing verse 6, and talking about the first resurrection at the beginning of the thousand years, it says, Blessed and holy is the one, is the person who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these 
over these people, the second death has no power. In other words, once you make it into that first resurrection, you'll never die again. You're turned to spirit, you've made it into the kingdom, you've passed the test, and you have received your reward of eternal life. So the second death will not affect those people that rose in the first resurrection. The second death is reserved only for the people who are deceived after the second resurrection. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that logical? The second death is not for the people in the first resurrection. It says it, right? So the second death must, therefore, by default, automatically refer to people who rise in the second resurrection. The second death refers to the people who rise in the second resurrection and are deceived during that short season, that short period of time, that 100 years of Isaiah 65, verse 20. If they make it to the end of the 100 years and are deceived and did not get saved in that second life, at the end of the 100 years, once they face the white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, if they are not saved, then they perish in the lake of fire. They suffer the second death. Amen. But concerning those that rise in the first resurrection, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of the Theos of and of Christ. Now, and again, when it says and, of Theos and of Christ, the word and is there, just like in verse uh, 2, the word and can be translated as same as. It does not necessarily mean two people or two beings or two persons or three persons or any such thing. If you look at verse 2, the serpent, the devil, Satan, uh, the dragon, four terms for one being. And it uses the word and. So and does not always mean in addition to, but rather it can mean same as, or namely, or i.e. Amen. So the Theos actually is Christ, God. God, Jesus is God. Amen. And we will be priests of God and will reign with him. Notice how it says reign with him and not them. Amen. If it really is Theos and Christ as two different people, two persons or three Godheads, then it would say reign with them. But it doesn't say reign with them. But rather reign with him, singular, for a thousand years. And really for eternity. But it's telling you that during that first thousand years, there's going to be a kingdom of God on earth with God's just, righteous system of law 
and us reigning with him, part of his government. Amen. Verse 7, And when a thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four segments of the earth, Gog and Magog, <clears throat> to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So that means many, many people. The the devil will again deceive many people. How come this is not taught in traditional churches that a thousand years after Christ comes, there's going to be Millions of people deceived again. Come, they don't teach you that. The pastors are totally ignorant of Scripture. Totally ignorant. So why do you want to buy their CDs and their DVDs? Why do you want to go to their websites? Why do you want to go to them to learn anything? Amen. They're totally ignorant of Scripture. Now, gathering them together for war is going to be at the end of what it calls the short Uh, the short period of time in verse 3 that it's going to be for a short period of time. The devil is released for a short period of time. We said Isaiah 65, 20, that's 100 years. At the end of the 100 years is when they are gathered together for the war against God. How do we know that? How do we know it's the end of the 100 rather than beginning of the 100? Read verse 9, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the evil beast and the false prophet had been also, and they would be tormented day and night until the end of their existence. That is the correct translation. You cannot have eternal torture eternal torment of the devil or the demons or the false prophet or the beast or wicked people and still have paradise is impossible. Totally, totally impossible. Because if you have paradise, there is no torture. There is no pain. There is no torment of anything or anyone in existence. Paradise is paradise. Amen. It's very simple. It's very easy. How can you have paradise and eternal pain when the Bible says in paradise there'll be no pain? Come on now. Come on now. There ain't going to be no more pain. And paradise is all existence once we get to that time. All existence. It says the old earth and the old universe, the old heavens and the earth will pass away. 
So that means everything. You cannot have a hell under the earth or in the middle of the earth or in a tunnel of the earth or on another planet or behind some star or wherever of, of wicked people burning forever in torment and pain. You cannot have that and have paradise at the same time. It's impossible. Utterly, 100%, 200%, 1,000% impossible. Because paradise will engulf the entire universe. The entire universe. All the heavens and the earth will pass away and be replaced by a new heavens and a new universe and a new earth, newly remodeled, that is. The Bible says the earth will abide forever. So it's not really a new earth and a new universe, but rather it is completely devoured by the lake of fire, which is the presence of God unhindered, the presence of God released throughout the universe to burn and devour everything that is corrupted, everything that's in bondage, everything that's wicked, everything that is dark, everything that is defiled, to burn and devour and melt and devour all of it into a new shape. He is the potter. We are the pottery. The earth is the pottery. The universe is the pottery. And he will reshape it in a new form where the moon is no longer in corruption and the planets are no longer in, is in corruption anymore. And no more death, no more pain, no more screaming, no more torment, no more testing, no more trial, no more tribulation. It's paradise in all existence from all the way north and south and west and east in every degree, in every circle, in every square, in every triangle, in every shape and size that there is in the entire universe, it will be perfect. Amen. No hell anymore. And right now there's not even a hell. Because the lake of fire will not occur to burn people is burning even now because it's the presence of God. But it will not devour anyone or anything until the time comes for the perish, for the perishment and banishment of those people into all eternity, that they will dissolve away and be no more. They consume away into smoke, the book of Psalms says. Consume away into smoke and be no more. Amen. These are all extremely simple and easy things to understand. Amen. Very simple. All you got to do is be willing to understand the Bible, to read it, to study it, to read it slow, to think about what you're reading, to compare verse with verse, chapter with chapter, book with book of the Bible, and stay off the ministry websites of preachers that don't know anything Amen. and read the Bible and be willing to let go of the brainwashing that you was brainwashed with and programmed with by those pastors that didn't know a thing. All they knew is tradition from their grandparents and neighbors and colleges 
that brainwashed them. You've got to be willing to let go of all the lies, of all the Babylonian fables. You've got to be willing to let go of it and accept these very simple, very easy, very basic truths. The Bible calls these things the basic elementary principles. It's easy. Amen. I've got to tell you that the reason that we are covering this subject today is the death of the young man in Nigeria and the responses that we received from several people about the death. And I read the responses of multiple people. The reaction sounded like Babylonian people. How they react to a death, what they say. It sounded just like a Babylonian person responding to the death. Because the way that these words and reactions was phrased made it sound like that the congregation still believes in the traditional Babylonian fables that you have to be saved in this life, that there is no second resurrection, that there is not a hope of another resurrection, that there is no salvation after this life. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm reading your words wrong, but the way they were phrased sounded to me just like the traditional Babylonian way of thinking. And I would think that by now that the church would be more understanding and accepting of the truth of the full plan of salvation including the second resurrection, that hundred years, which we'll still read in Isaiah 65. Because even if the boy had died in sin, which as far as we know, he didn't die in sin, but even if he had died in sin, all hope is not lost. Amen. Even if, had, even if he had died in sin, we can still see him in eternity. Amen. We can still see him in the next life. We can still see him. Hope is not lost. It's not a desperate situation. It's not. It is not a desperate situation if he died in sin. It is not a desperate situation at all. At all. Because he's still going to rise in the second resurrection and have free will to accept the truth, live for God, and face the judgment seat of Christ at the end of the hundred years, be saved and enter into paradise with us. Hope is not lost, and it's not a desperate situation. 
Amen. Now let's keep reading so that people won't misunderstand because I know that you'll keep reading these verses later on today if I stop reading. So let's read them. And so this war that occurs at the end of the hundred years in verse 9, the fire comes down from heaven and devours them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown in that lake of fire and brimstone, even the evil beast and false prophet had also been, and they would be tormented day and night until the end of their existence. We know that King James and even New American Standard NIV and many other Bibles, all of your traditional Bibles say that they will be tormented forever and forever without end. That that's impossible because paradise is coming and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more crying. Amen. The correct translation is until the end of their existence, the end of term. It is the same word used for the Old Covenant and clean and unclean meats and circumcision. Same word. And yet we know that circumcision was only a temporary. It's not forever. But if you read King James and New American Standard and NIV and all of your traditional Bibles, it says that circumcision is forever. And yet it's very clear it's not forever. Very clear it's not forever. It's the same word. And even animal sacrifices. All of your traditional Bibles say that animal sacrifices are forever. Forever and forever and forever. Perpetually. And yet we know that animal sacrifices were done away with. That's very, 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 very clear. So, you have to accept the reality that your traditional Bibles are corrupted and poorly translated by Babylonian preachers that don't know what in the world they're talking about. Verse 11. Now again, in verse 11, it's backing up. <clears throat> well, it's not yet backing up. It's still moving forward. I'll find here, maybe it's verse 12 where it starts backing up. Not verse 12, but we'll find it here in a minute. Let's just read. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and whose presence the earth and the universe fled away, and no place was found for them. So this is the end of the hundred years. This is the same time that the fire comes down and devours the devil and those that fight with the devil, those that were deceived and come to fight against Jerusalem at the end of the hundred years, the same fire that does that is the same fire that devours the earth and the universe and it's at the time of the white throne, the white throne judgment of Matthew 25. 
the great white throne where the goats were on the left, the sheep were on the right. So that's the final judgment day. That's the final judgment day that you read about in Matthew 25. The goats are on the left, the sheep on the right. The final judgment day, the great white throne judgment. That's when the lake of fire burns the wicked. That's when the earth and the universe and all existence is devoured by God's presence, the lake of fire. Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before that throne, and scrolls were opened, and another scroll was opened, which is the scroll of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the scrolls according to their works. Not according to their faith, not according to their belief, but rather according to their works. Amen. And we're going to add that, Robert, if you want to make a note for me, to add a footnote there saying exactly this, not by their faith or belief, but by their works. Amen. Not by their faith or belief, but by their works. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Now that's where it starts backing up in verse 13. So we need to add a new heading right above verse 13. Robert's taking a note for this so we can add this into an update of the AOB Bible. Verse 13 is where it backs up. So when it says the sea gave up the dead in it, that's talking about when the dead rises from their grave. This is when the people at, who died on the Titanic and also the Bermuda Triangle and the Battle of 1812 and the Battle of 1892 and all the different sea battles or airplane crashes in the sea or boat wrecks in the sea, all the people that died from sharks in the sea, all the people that died in the sea. These people come to life. And death and the grave on the earth, all the people that died with them, all of them come up to be judged. Now, this is where people believe in a third resurrection. That is a misunderstanding. They're not rising to be judged all on the same day. They come back to life at the end of that thousand years because it says very clearly in verse 5, the rest of the dead, that remains, that, that means all that remain that were not risen in the first, they rise in the second. So it's impossible for there to be a third resurrection because all of them, if they did not rise in the first, they rose in the second. So verse 13 is explaining the rest of the dead. It's describing that resurrection, which Isaiah, I mean, not Isaiah, but Ezekiel 37 also describes that resurrection as well. And we're going to read that as well, maybe. Ezekiel 37 talks about that second resurrection as well. So the sea gave up the dead, 
And death and the grave gave up the dead which were in them, and they're going to be judged at the end of the hundred, and everyone according to their works. It says it again, according to their works. Anytime the Bible says it twice, pay attention to it. Amen. They're not going to be judged by faith or belief, but by works. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, which means at the end of the hundred years, that lake of fire devours everything in all existence, everywhere. You can't have a hell anywhere that's going to last. This is the second death. It explains itself. The second death has no power on those that rise in the first. Amen. But it does have power over those that rise in the second. Amen? The second death is reserved for people that live the second life. But they don't have to die in that lake of fire. They don't have to. They can be saved, according to Matthew 25, where it's describing that great white throne judgment. The goats are on the left, but who's on the right? Amen? The goats are on the left. It's very clear in Matthew 25 that those get thrown into the lake of fire. But who's on the right side? Those on the right side <coughs> are those that, who are will be saved in that life. Brother, if you want to get me a cup of water that's right there on that desk, appreciate it. Sit it down over here. Thank you. And it says in verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the scroll of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. But we know in Matthew 25, you have two groups of people that will face that great white throne judgment on that final day of judgment. And that was going to be two groups. The ones on the left are those that are deceived in that second life. The ones on the right are those that are going to be saved in that second life. So if the boy, young man, we should not call him boy, he's 15 years old, that's a young man. So that young man, even if he had, even if he had died in sin, he can get saved in that second life. Now we've got a perfect example of that, which I need to find the scripture, and Brother Gerald can help me very quickly to find where Paul said, "I deliver this man to Satan to die in the flesh." He had his dad's wife. We'll find that real quick, and if you know where it's at, you can go ahead and turn to it, because we're going to go ahead and read that. So let me find that verse real quick.
1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Page 179. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone had his father's wife or his dad's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. <clears throat> Verse 3, For I on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. Verse 4, In the authority of our Lord Christ Jesus, when you are assembled, I will be with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. Verse 5, I have decided to deliver, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his soul may be saved in the era of the Lord. Amen. So that is 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 5 is a verse that almost every pastor on earth does not understand. Almost every pastor on earth does not understand 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5 because they have no idea about the second resurrection. Paul says he's going to deliver this sinner to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That means he's going to allow this sinner to die a sinner. He's going to allow this man to die a sinner rather than try to save him because this man's sin is so grievous, so nasty, such a tremendous abomination that he, this man must be accursed and forsaken by the church. The church must forsake certain people. Even certain, this was a church member. It was attending worship services. And Paul is going to forsake this man, this church member, that this man may die in his sin so that his soul may be saved in the era of the Lord. Now, what year would that be talking about? What kind of, what time, what year, what date would that talk about? It's not the thousand years because, of course, that man is not going to rise in the first. He's not going to rise in the first resurrection. So it has to be talking about in that hundred years, during the time that Satan is released to deceive the nations again, during that short time, the hundred years. This proves that a person can get saved. It also proves during that hundred years, people can get saved, but it also proves that those that rise in that second direction is not just only and is, is in fact not those people that's already embraced holiness. I mean, come on. If they had already embraced holiness, they would have risen in the first resurrection. 
Amen. To, to a certain degree. If they have completed their spiritual growth. Amen. But this verse is solid proof. Solid proof. Undeniable proof that people can get saved in that second resurrection. As well as Matthew 25 is also solid proof. Amen. Brother, if you want to turn that row of light soon, please. Now let's go to that Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Next page 46, volume number four, prophets. Page 46, Isaiah 65. And let's start in verse. Verse 16. Let's start in verse 16. Verse 16. Isaiah 65, verse 16. Which shall be blessed on the earth. For they shall bless the true Theos, and they that swear upon the earth shall swear by the true Theos. For they shall, they shall forgive the former affliction, and it shall not come into their mind. That means once we get into the new heavens, new earth, paradise, we will not remember the sufferings, trials, and tribulations that we have gone through in this current life, or even in the second resurrection. We will not remember, once we get to paradise, we will not remember our trials, tests, and tribulations, pains, and sorrows. It will not come to our mind. Verse 17, well, there should be a new heaven and a new earth that talk as really meaning newly remodeled, newly shaped, and they shall not at all remember the former, neither shall they at any time come into their mind. So we won't even remember that the 
planets and earth had formerly been in a corrupt shape and corrupt colors and designs. Right now, when we look at Pluto and other planets and other moons, we see corruption. But we won't remember that, how they used to look. Because paradise is truly paradise. There won't be anything bad, not even a bad thought or even a bad memory. It's totally paradise. Paradise is paradise. Verse 18, that they shall find in her joy, that is, in the new heavens, new earth, they will find joy and rejoicing. For behold, I make Jerusalem a rejoicing. Talking about New Jerusalem, uh, uh, Revelation 20 and 21, New Jerusalem. And my people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and will be glad in my people. And there shall be no more be heard the voice of weeping or the voice of outcry. Revelation 21, verse 4, no more weeping, no more crying. So the context of these verses, verse 16 to 19, is perfectly clear, easy, understand, easy. Context is new earth, new Jerusalem, no pain, no suffering, no crying, paradise. Then we come to verse 20, and it's changing the time frame. Because remember, in verse 16 to 20, you're talking about paradise, no crying, and no death. If you read Revelation 20 and 21, also no death. So verse 20, it says, Neither shall there be any more an infant of an infant that dies untimely or unexpectedly, or an old man who shall not complete his time. For the infant shall live to be a hundred years old, and the sinner who dies at a hundred years shall also be accursed or banished or perished in the lake of fire. So when it's talking about people dying at 100 years old, both the infant and the sinner, both dying at 100 years old, that is impossible to be talking about this life because sinners die all the time at all ages. Amen. It's impossible to be talking about any period of time in the past or present. Because sinners die at all ages and always have throughout all human history. So it's impossible that this has already been fulfilled. Impossible. And so the only period of time that it could be talking about is only the second resurrection which is that short period of time that Revelation 20 talked about that the devil is released for a short time. That's the only period of time that's possible that it could be talking about because this has never been fulfilled. Amen? And the context is death 
at the end of a hundred years. They both die at the end of the hundred years. So it's very clear the context. And it's the context again is right before, even though it's written after it's talking about New Jerusalem. But it can't be fulfilled after New Jerusalem. That's silly. Once you get to New Jerusalem, there's no more death. Revelation 20 says so. Amen. So verse 20 must be talking about a hundred-year period of time just before we enter paradise. That's the only possibility. So it's a perfect example, just like in Revelation 20, verse 13, it backed up to explain the second resurrection. So here in Isaiah 65, verse 20, it's backing up to tell you what happens before people get into paradise. Amen? That's the only possible way that you can make sense out of these scriptures. There is no other possibility. So this tells you how long that short period of time will be that the devil is allowed to deceive people. It's 100 years. And that's going to be people that rise in the second resurrection would include the infant and also the old man, the sinner. So, by default and by logic, in the second resurrection, you're going to have the people the babies that died in abortion, the young people that died young before they could accept the truth, before they was taught the truth, everybody on earth that never heard the name Jesus, that lived in centuries before now, before modern technology, before the internet, before TV, before satellite, that never heard the name of Jesus in the jungles, and in the tribes, and anyone else that do not rise in the first resurrection, everyone, the rest of the dead, everyone, whatever their circumstance is, whether they died young or old, regardless of the age that they died at, the rest of the dead, both young and old, they live to be another hundred years. When it says a hundred years old, it has no reference to the age that you died at. All of them will live a hundred years. All of them, everybody will live a hundred years. All of those that rise in the second resurrection. Both the saint and, well, both the infant and the sinner. Both of them will live a hundred years. Then, that person that still remains to be a sinner by the end of the 100 years, they are a curse, meaning they are cast into the lake. Of course, everybody will be cast into the lake of fire, but the sinner will be a curse. The sinner will be 
uh, will perish and die and be no more. Amen. Now verse 21 and after that is talking about the hundred years. That people will build their own houses. You don't have to rent. People won't live in poverty. You will plant your garden. You will eat food from your own garden. So it's describing in verse 21 down how people are going to live in the hundred years with justice on earth, righteousness on earth, God bringing justice to the earth, both the thousand years and the hundred years. But you're still going to have wicked people in the midst of that, in that hundred years. The Satan is released to deceive people, free will. Okay, so now let's read Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Page 132. Page 132. Ezekiel 37. Verse 1. <clears throat> you want to make sure that's the page number 132 okay verse 1 the hand of Jesus came upon me and Jesus brought me forth by the spirit and set me in the midst of the plain and it was full of human bones so that would be graves and he led me around about them every way and behold those uh, very many on the face of the plain very dry these are old graves and he said to me son of humankind will these bones live and i said oh lord theos you know this and he said to me prophesy upon these bones and you shall say to them you dry bones hear the word of jesus thus say of jesus to these bones behold I will bring upon you the breath of life. And I will lay signets upon you. And I will bring up flesh upon you. And will spread skin upon you. And I will put my spirit into you. And you shall live. And you shall know that I am Jesus. Amen. And then Ezekiel sees it occurring. This is a vision. Okay? This is a vision. And he sees these bones coming back upon bone. And it happens and throughout the chapter tells you about this. And then if you skip to verse 16, Son of humankind, take for yourself a rod and write upon it Judah and the children of Jezreel his inheritance and you should take for yourself another rod and you shall inscribe upon it joseph for the rod of ephraim and all the children of jezreel that belong to him and you should join these two sticks together for yourself so as that they should bind themselves into one stick and they shall come into your hand it shall come to pass when the children of your people shall say to you will you not tell us what you mean by these things then shall you say to them, Thus saith Jesus, Behold, 
I would take the tribe of Joseph, which of course is America and Great Britain, which is the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Jezreel that belong to him, and I would add them to the tribe of Judah, the Jews, and they should become one rod in the hand of Judah. Amen. Verse 22, let's skip down to verse 22, and I will make them a nation in my land, even on the mountains of Jezreel, for they shall have one prince or one governor, and they shall no more have two nations, neither shall they be divided any more into two kingdoms, the Jews and then the other ten tribes. The Bible talks about the house of Judah and the house of Israel, meaning Judah consisting of two or three tribes, and then the house of Israel consisting of ten tribes, and they were no longer to be divided into two kingdoms. Now, most preachers will say that this chapter is only symbolic, only symbolic, and is not a true resurrection, but rather that it's only symbolic of the Jews coming back into their land. And that's it. That's the only thing it's talking about. But how can that be true when it's talking about the house of Judah being reunited with the house of Israel? Amen. So it's got to be more than just the Jews coming back to the land of Israel, even though that's part of it. It has to be a primary fulfillment that has not yet been fulfilled. Now, I do believe that this is also a foreshadowing when we look at what did happen with the Jews returning to the land in Israel that that was a foreshadowing of this chapter. But what we saw with the Jews returning to their homeland was not the full fulfillment of this chapter. Because the full fulfillment of this chapter is a resurrection of the dead from old graves that will also result in not only the Jews returning to Israel, the land of Israel in the Middle East, but also even the tribe of Joseph and Ephraim, which includes Manasseh when you're talking about Joseph, them being united with the Jews together as one family, one kingdom in the land of Israel in the Middle East. That's talking about the British Empire, Ephraim, and Manasseh, part of Joseph, America, Americans, returning to their ancestry land, their land of ancestry in the Middle East. That has not yet been fulfilled, has never been fulfilled in the context of the vision of a resurrection. Amen. So this is describing the second resurrection. And even though it's specific in this chapter to only Israelites, we know that the second resurrection will include all tribes, all colors, all languages, all the people of the earth, the rest of the dead, anyone that did not rise in the first. We know that. But 
this particular chapter puts an emphasis on the Israelites because they are God's chosen people as far as physical ancestry of who he chose to use first and who he chose to use in a larger scale because of the faith and righteousness and obedience of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's why. So, this again confirms the second resurrection, a physical resurrection of the dead. Amen. When we add all these verses up and others, which we don't want to look at right now because we could be here all day, but there's other scriptures as well. But this is sufficient. What we have already looked at is more than sufficient to understand the truth that if somebody were to die in sin, all hope is not lost. All hope is not lost. And they can get saved in that next life. God's grand plan of salvation is so much more full and complete and perfect, much more than the traditional Babylonian way of thinking that if a person dies in sin, all hope is lost. We do rejoice, of course, that the young man, as far as we know, was saved, of course, we can rejoice in that. But let us not phrase our words that make it sound like we're still stuck in the old way of thinking that he had to have been saved or else. Amen. Also, also, let's turn to Ephesians because I'm going to teach you something else that I don't know of any other person on earth teaching this. Book of Ephesians. On page 206. Okay. Um, Page 208, Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Theos to a mature man to the measure of the maturity which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in everything into him who is the head, Christ, from which the entire body, being fitted and held together by every joint, while every joint supplies according to the proper work of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. These are powerful verses. Because you know what this means as well as other verses, what it means? It means that to be turned to spirit, to rise in the first resurrection and enter into eternity at that point of time of the first resurrection, you must not only be saved, and baptized and have partaken in the Passover communion, not only all of that, but you must have completed your spiritual growth and maturity. And that is almost impossible at the age of 15. This is something else that you really need to understand. At the age of 15, it would be extremely unlikely that the young man would have reached full maturity and have reached his spiritual perfection of being mature in Christ to the fullness of which we must become extremely unlikely. So even though we rejoice that he had been baptized, that he had accepted the truth, that he was attending worship services, he was in the truth, we accept that he was a brother and a member of our church worldwide. But even that does not immediately qualify him for the first resurrection. It is very unlikely that he would enter the first resurrection. Very unlikely. Not impossible. I'm just saying very unlikely. Because God brought the offices of the prophets and apostles and pastors, evangelists and deacons for the equipping of the saints that we may grow up and be become mature to the measure that belongs to Christ. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. Lots of time. So, it's not just being baptized that's going to get you in the kingdom. We must continue 
to serve the Lord, endure unto the end, and not just make it to the end, but having become complete in Christ. There are multiple verses throughout the Bible that talks about us becoming complete or perfect. Not perfect as in perfect memory, perfect spelling, perfect pronunciation, not perfect as in not ever making a mistake, but rather perfect as in coming to the point of time that we're mature enough in Christ that we stop sinning. And I really don't know anyone like that, not even myself. And yet that is the goal that we should strive for. And the great tribulation will greatly help us in that goal, greatly help us. The great tribulation the Bible describes as a time of purification, a time of testing and trial for our good that will purify us. And we need it really bad. And it will help us, all of us, to become much more resolved, committed, living a righteous and holy life. So it's a fundamental part of God's plan of salvation that before we enter the first resurrection, we go through three and a half years of fiery trials and tribulation, the greatest tribulation that has ever existed upon this earth in order to poke at you, pierce you with trials and tribulations to really work you into perfection. I want you to understand this and think about this. You cannot enter that first resurrection without much tribulation. You have to have that fire. He is the potter, we are the pottery, and the pottery never becomes perfected without being put into the fire. You have to be grown, you have to be thrown into that fire. The greatest time of tribulation that has ever hit this, our species of humanity, is right before the resurrection for a purpose that we may enter in. Amen. That we may become complete and purified in order to make it in. And then... Another thing that you need to understand is if we reach that time of the first resurrection and you've already been baptized, you're already saved, truly saved, but you're not yet complete in Christ, you're not yet fully mature in Christ, you're not yet holy in Christ, perfected in Christ, then you're not going to enter that first resurrection. But you will have to automatically go to the second resurrection, even though you did get saved. 
even though you were baptized, even though you did do the Passover communion, even though you kept the Sabbath and all the holy days, even though you repented of many things, and yet you're not yet complete because there's still a stumbling block. There's still a sin that you're still struggling with. You are not going to enter in the first resurrection because once you're turned into spirit, you've made it into the kingdom and God cannot allow his kingdom to be corrupted by a person that is still struggling with sin. His plan is perfect. And sinners will not enter in to the kingdom. So if you're saying, if you still say, which some of you are, multiple people in this church, is still saying, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, then you must face the reality that you're not going to enter the first resurrection until you get rid of that mentality. Because we are not called to be sinners. We're called to be saints. And a saint is a saint. A saint is not a sinner. You're either a saint or a sinner. One or the other. You can't be both. And only the saints will enter in the first resurrection. I tell you, I'm no saint. But I hope and I pray that the tribulation will turn me into a saint so that, that I may enter the first resurrection. But if I don't, hope is not lost. Amen. And it's not a desperate situation. That second resurrection will be glorious. And that second life of the hundred years will be so much easier than this life. Although there will still be testing and uh, lies and deception and sin and rebellion, it will still yet, still yet be so much easier in that life. And it's not a horrible thing to enter the second resurrection and live that life. It's not a horrible thing to have to enter the second resurrection. But of course, we would want to make it in the first resurrection, if at all possible, because once we make it into the first resurrection, then there's no possibility that we could suffer the second death. Once you make it in, you make it in. Amen? So, of course, we would want to strive for the first resurrection so that we already reach the finish line. But if we don't reach the finish line by the time of the first resurrection, it is not a desperate loss of life. We still have the opportunity to repent in that second life, live that second life, live for the Lord, and, and, and make it right with the Lord completely and become complete in that 
time. This is God's perfect plan of salvation. It's beautiful. Amen. It's beautiful. And the Bible backs this up. Amen. And this gives us great hope for our families, our friends, our co-workers. And we do not have to beg people to get saved. We don't have to be so destitute to save people. We don't have to save the world. There is a second resurrection. Amen. And some people are appointed for the second resurrection. It is God's plan for certain people to rise in the second resurrection. Some people out there are still trying to save people to get them in the first resurrection when God has no desire for that person to enter the first resurrection. There are a lot of people that are appointed by God for the second resurrection. So you people that have this mentality, you've got to save him, you've got to save her, and you've got to lead this person and that person, and you're begging and you're doing and you're working and all this, and as if you've got to get everybody saved by the time of the first resurrection, as if there is no second resurrection. It's not right. There are certain plants that must be harvested in the spring. Some food, some plants, some fruit, some vegetables have to be harvested in the summer, some in the fall. Different plants for different seasons of when they are to be harvested. Jesus constantly used the analogies of a vineyard and of farms for the harvests of souls. To let us believe Christ's own analogies that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, meaning that there's two resurrections of souls. Amen. And that those that came first those of the Old Covenant, those of the Old Bibles and the Old Scriptures and the Old Way of Life, that those will be in the last resurrection. And yet those that lived in the last generation, our time, will be first in the resurrection. Because we know of the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. And we know that we're saved by the blood of Christ and not by the blood of goats and lambs and sheep and bulls. So those people of the old covenant have to go to the second resurrection. Because only through the blood of Christ that we know of, but they did not know of, only by the blood of Christ are we saved. 
and we can enter into that through baptism and obedience and completion, obedience, holy life, Passover communion, the true holy days, the spirit of love, the mentality of love, and maturity and becoming complete in Christ. But the people of the old covenant, they're missing a whole lot of that. And they cannot enter in because they don't know a lot of that. And they must come back in the second resurrection for us to teach. And we will teach in that hundred years. We will teach the earth and reign with Christ during that thousand years. Revelation 5 verse 10, that we should reign with Christ a thousand years on the earth. Not in heaven, but on earth. Revelation 5.10. Amen. And heaven is not my home. Heaven has never been my home. Heaven is not my home. Heaven will never be my home. The meat shall inherit the earth. The meat shall inherit the earth. Amen. Believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. New Jerusalem shall come down out of heaven. And shall come upon the earth. Even Christ himself will leave heaven. If you go to heaven and live forever, ain't nobody going to be there. Even Christ himself is coming to the earth. Why do you want to live in heaven forever all by your lonesome self? Ain't nobody going to be there. Amen. If you want to be with Christ, you've got to stay on this earth. Because on earth is where Christ, Christ will be. Read it. Revelation 20 and 21. Amen. And 21 and 22. I mean. Heaven is not my home. Everybody trying to make themselves out to be God. Heaven is God's abode, not yours. Amen. Humble yourself, you human. The Bible is simple. You just got to get rid of all the Babylonian thinking and believe the Bible. Amen. I hope that now many more of you will be much more solid in the unity of doctrine of Ephesians 4, unity of the faith. We are striving for unity of the faith, unity of doctrine, to bring us together as one church one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that we are in agreement and unity about the faith of the dead and what is so abundantly clear and not confusing at all. Amen. The Bible calls this basic elementary principles. Amen.
And the sermon is finished, but I feel led to remind people that we've got a very short period of time left. So we got from November the 20th now until December the 18th, January, February, March. So we got four months until the abomination of desolation of Matthew 24, Daniel 12. Also called, it is also called the strong delusion in 2 Thessalonians 2. It is the appearance of the Antichrist manifesting himself as God, sitting in the temple of God and the throne of God, displaying himself to the earth as if he is God. All these people that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, they will fall to the ground, many of them, on their knees, worshiping the son of Satan as as if he is God when they see him appear. It will be a strong, very strong delusion. It's a real manifestation. It is not a blue beam. It is not an electronic trick. The word delusion or deception is another translation. Is not that it's a fake sight. It is not that it is a fake vision. It is not that it is an electronic beam. It is not a hologram. It is not electronic trick. That's not what it's talking about. The rather the deception, the delusion is, is that he looks like God, that he is God. That's the deception. Because the truth is he's not God. Amen. But millions and perhaps billions of people will think that he is God. March 17th, 2022, St. Patrick's Day, termed, affirmed by Scripture repeatedly and divine revelation and miracles locally repeatedly. followed by 30 days of chaos, murder, and mayhem, and people fleeing for their lives. Jerusalem surrounded by armies and concluding on the first day of unleavened bread after Passover, the invasion of Israel, including America, Australia, and American allies, World War III, Gog, Magog War, Ezekiel 38, and the beginning of the Great Tribulation of three and a half years, the final three and a half years before Christ comes, 1335 altogether from the time of the Strong Delusion. So it's more than three and a half. Three and a half of tribulation. And then the wrath, 40 to 45 days. Please check out the ministry website at isawthelightministries.com. isawthelightministries.com. 
It is not I saw the light ministry. But rather we are multiple ministries. We have a men's ministry, a women's ministry, a ministry to help people overcome drug addiction, a people to help people overcome unwanted homosexual desires and lifestyles. We have the ministry of truth, the commandments of the Lord. We have prophetic ministry. We have other ministries. We have uh, deliverance ministry. We have multiple ministries because we are full gospel. And we are not a denomination because Christ is not divided. Amen. We are one church, one faith. Amen. We are not divided. We have a council of seven members. One of the members is a council of elders of seven members. One of the council members is in Jamaica, another one in South Korea, two in Algeria, one in Zimbabwe, and two in the United States. So the majority of the council are Gentile. So these accusations that we hate black people is a lie of the devil. The majority of our international congregation are black people and other Gentiles, and they, are, they make up the majority of the Council of Elders as well as the majority of the membership worldwide. So when people accuse us of hating black people is a lie of the devil. But the reason they accuse us of that is because we acknowledge the reality of the Holy Scriptures that Israel are the nation, the tribes of Israel, Manasseh, Ephraim, Joseph, Dan, Reuben, so forth. They are the white nations, the Europeans, those that descended out of Western Europe, the British Empire, the white tribes. I have no power or authority over that. That's God. That's Scripture. And if you have a problem with Scripture, take it up with the Lord. I'm just a messenger, just a mailman, teaching the Scriptures. And if you have a problem with God's decisions, take it up with God. Amen. It doesn't mean we hate black people. We embrace them as our brothers in the Lord, brothers and sisters. They're on the council, more black than white. And we support them financially, pay their rent, their food, their medical bills, their funerals. We take care of them. We love them. We embrace them. And the book of Romans teaches us that the Gentiles are drafted in into the same family. They are adopted, part of our family, and they become part of spiritual Israel. And that salvation is both for the Jew and the Gentile, meaning for the Israelite and the Gentile, both becoming one, one family, spiritually speaking. 
even though the physical tribes of Israel are still important to the Lord with an everlasting covenant. But nevertheless, as far as salvation goes, it is both for the Israelite and the Gentile, both as one spiritually. So the devil is raging war, and that's part of the warfare that we're seeing right now of the Democrats versus the Republicans, as well as some of the rhino Republicans that are traitors and are not true Republicans. What we see happening with the leftists, the communists, the Muslims versus those on the right is a race war where it's Esau versus Jacob. Amen. That's what we're seeing. Amen. We're seeing uh, the battle of races, which Jesus said would occur in the end time and is part of his plan. And it is a war against Israel. And they attack us with false accusations. It is part of that spiritual warfare against the physical tribes of Israel and spiritual warfare against the spiritual Israel. Both spiritually and physically, we are in a war. And that is what we are seeing all over the place. We praise the Lord that Kyle Ritterhouse was found innocent, not guilty on all charges. We praise God for that miracle, for that one battle won. We have lost many battles in the past few years, but we also win battles every now and then. And we will continue to lose battles and to win battles. And that's the way war occurs. That is the nature of war. You don't win them all. You win some and you lose some. And that's the reality, and you need to understand that reality. We're not going to win every battle. But we praise the Lord for the battles that we do with Kyle Ritterhouse, that young man. I feel so bad for him what the communists have put him through, what the spiritual Gentiles have put him through the spiritual loss, the dogs, what they have put him through and his family through. It's disgusting. Amen. It's only going to get worse over these next four months. Prices will continue to increase in every nation. Supplies will continue to dwindle Less and less and less and less supplies over the next four months. So you better get what you need now. While the supplies are available and while they are not uh, overly uh, priced, get what you can now. Do these things with urgency. Repent with urgency. And worship the Lord with urgency. Even though there is a second resurrection, we still must pursue righteousness with speed and urgency so that 
God can and will consider mercy upon us for the tribulation time period. It's not just salvation. Everybody's salvation, salvation, salvation. But it's also we need to think about divine favor for the time of tribulation. Amen. That's a separate issue. And we should be seeking divine favor for this time of tribulation and the time before that that we must also endure. Amen. All right, Brother Gerald, you got anything? Anybody got anything? Anybody want to type anything in the chat room? Anybody got any questions about anything that I said? And comments and suggestions? Uh, I do have a very affordable and very durable track that can be made with a penny for explaining this sermon. Cool. All you need is a penny, a gel pen, a piece of tape, just a regular scotch tape, and a pen. And I'll post that in the ministry group. Okay, cool. So, Brother Gerald, figured out a way that you can write on coins. For several years now, We've been writing on paper money that you would pay for products in the store, take paper money, ink pen, and write Bible verses and other things on your paper money to turn that into a gospel track. Verses that reveal the truth about Christmas, Easter, against the Trinity, other topics, against the Antichrist, other things. So he's also now figured out a way of writing on coins using a gel pen and then take a piece of scotch transparent tape and taping over it as well. So he's going to be posting that in the ministry group on MeWe, the MeWe social media group, a great alternative to Facebook. Okay, so brother, I mean, uh, our sister over in Nigeria has a question. Uh, <clears throat> Those who rise up during the hundred years where they remember their previous life. That one I'm not for sure about, but I'm almost, I would say almost 100% sure, actually, that I believe they will remember the first life. Um, where we had just read about people not remembering the trials and sufferings, that was specific to paradise. It said nothing about during the hundred years. And so I do believe that in the hundred years, we're going to remember this life, everyone, both the lost and the saved, so that you can build upon what you've already learned and build upon the trials and sufferings and, and lessons all were already learned. That's my belief, that we will remember during that 100 years, the second resurrection. I believe we will remember this life. That's to the best of my understanding at this point. Any other questions? Or anything anybody wants to share of a testimony? Hey, Brother Gerald, you got anything? There's just one more thing I had noticed in Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Let's see what that says. Go to page 280. Page 280. 
Revelation 20, verse 10? Yes. Okay, verse 10. Okay. For, for explaining that the lake of fire doesn't torment people eternally, this verse itself says, where the evil beast and the false prophet had been also, they're not still there. Good point. It says, where the evil beast and the false prophet had been also. So that means that they don't still exist. Proving, once you have the correct translation, proving that the fire does not burn people, does not burn the spirits and people, the wicked, forever and forever and forever, because the, the beast and the false prophet had been there as in past tense. Amen. Good point. Anything else? Okay. Thank you for listening, and we'll see everybody next Saturday. Every Saturday, we have worship services. Every Saturday starts at 2 o'clock. We actually try to turn on the microphone about five minutes till 2. Eastern Time. Please check out the ministry website at I Saw the Light Ministries.com and please tune in to us next Saturday, every Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time in the afternoon here where you're listening at right now. And until next time, may God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.